Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Forgive me for a moment for departing from our normal practice by announcing something about next Sabbath. Next Sabbath is a baccalaureate Sabbath here at the University Church. But rather than baccalaureate both services, as has been the case in recent years, first service will be a normal, regular service. Second service will be baccalaureate, but first service will be our normal service, where this series will be brought to a conclusion. I'd like to tell you just one thing this morning. Share just one key thought with you today. And it can be captured in a refrain. Here's the refrain. When gospel words are matched by gospel attitudes, then we have gospel power. Just that. When gospel words are matched by gospel attitudes, then we have gospel power. To consider that, I want to go to Peter's first letter. The Apostle Peter, his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 3. But before reading the passage from chapter 3, just a bit of background is in order. Peter is writing into a world that was becoming increasingly challenging for Christ followers. The Roman Empire was increasingly turning its focus on them, increasingly concerned about the claims that they made, the worship in which they partook, the beliefs that they held. It was making life increasingly difficult. That could mean just threats. It might mean confiscation of property or imprisonment. It could, in extreme cases, even mean execution. So life for Peter's readers was getting increasingly difficult. Peter writes to them with a twofold purpose. On the one hand, he wants to assure them that God is with them in the realities that they are facing, that Jesus has walked this journey before, and that they still have a witness to give to him, even in spite of challenges and threats. But he also wants them to have the gentleness of Jesus in all that they do, in all that they say, especially in their witness. So here in 1 Peter chapter 3, he's writing specifically to people facing that kind of reality. In fact, the TNIV, the version we have as a pew Bible, gives this overall section, the heading, suffering for doing good. So it's in that context that we read about bearing witness, giving an answer for our faith. I want to read to you the verses, just two of the verses out of this section. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 15, says this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So we're going to take our refrain for today, and we're going to look at six words, two words at a time, and unpack that reality. So the first two words, the first part of the phrase that we're going to consider is this. Remember what our, 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 our refrain is. When gospel words are matched by gospel attitudes, then we have gospel power. So our first focus is on gospel words. What exactly are gospel words? words. We all make a claim. We all speak the words. We say, I have become a Christ follower. I have become a disciple. I am a believer in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a member of a Christian community of faith. We speak words, and we should. This is who I am. We make a claim. Along with that claim comes the compelling command of Christ to now go and share that witness with others, to share our faith with others. Gospel words. But it's right about there that we start to run into a bit of a problem because you may have had the experience that sharing our faith with others hasn't always gone so well. In fact, sadly, we would have to confess that we as Christ followers have at times have been rather arrogant, rather pushy about how we do it, trying to foist our faith on someone else. You know as well as I do that we don't like others to do that to us. Somebody knocks on the door, rings the doorbell, somebody accosts us at an airport, says, I want to share this with you. Most of us respond by saying, I'm not interested. And yet at the same time, too often in the past, we have pushed it on others. Whenever I think about that, I think of a favorite story of mine. It's put to pen by an author named Kevin Harney. This is what Harney writes. It was a battle, a wrestling match, a test of wills. Every day at exactly the same time, Margaret would go to the bathroom cabinet, open it, and take out a huge bottle of castor oil. Then she would head to the kitchen to get a tablespoon. At the sound of the drawer opening and the silverware rattling, Patches, her Yorkshire terrier, would run and hide, sometimes under the bed, at other times in the bathtub or behind Margaret's recliner, because Patches knew what was coming. Someone had convinced Margaret that her beloved dog would have strong teeth, a beautiful coat, and a long life if she gave him a spoonful of castor oil every day. So as an act of love, every 24 hours, she cornered Patches, pinned him down, pried open his mouth, and as he whimpered, squirmed, and fought her with all his strength, poured a tablespoon of castor oil down his little doggy throat. Neither Patches nor Margaret enjoyed their daily wrestling match. Then one day, in the middle of their battle royale, with one sideways kick, Patches sent the dreaded bottle of castor oil flying across the kitchen floor. It was a momentary victory for the canine, and Margaret let him go so she could run to the pantry and grab a towel to clean up the mess. When Margaret got back, she was utterly shocked. There was Patches licking up the spilled castor oil with a look of satisfaction that only a dog can make. 
Margaret began to laugh uncontrollably. In one moment, it all made sense. Patches loved castor oil. He just hated being pinned down and having it pour down his throat. <laughs> and then Harney finishes by saying, Welcome to the world of evangelism. <laughs> Welcome to the world of sharing our witness. It has been that way at times. I have something good for you, and you're going to like it. I know you're going to like it, so hang on. And we force our point, force our perspective, knowing full well that none of us wants that done on us. At times in the past, that's what we've done. Gospel words, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower. Gospel words to share with you. But somewhere along the line there, we run into some challenges. Because sometimes our lives don't quite line up with our claims. That makes it very difficult to hear what is being shared. You know that experience? I, I read one pastor who said, I ask that all Christian bumper stickers be taken off of every Christian car anywhere in your neighborhood. I don't want any bumper sticker cutting me off in traffic and then saying certain choice words to me when I get angry at them. Take it off. Don't have those gospel words out there unless you're willing to live, unless you're willing to drive in a gospel-oriented way. I know the experience. You do as well. I think of the well-known, well-known evangelical pastor, not from this area, but well-known. He was on one of those trips. He traveled frequently. On one of those trips, anyone who travels has probably had one or two or ten of those. Those trips when the, when, when the flights are late, connections are missed, the terminals are crammed with people, everybody's in a bad mood. It was one of those kinds of trips. How much smaller can they make these seats and how much less leg room can they possibly give me? That kind of trip. He said, then I landed at my home airport to go to the baggage claim only to discover they'd lost my baggage. He said, that was it. I'd had it. I was done with this. I was so upset, he said. I stormed over to the nearest customer service desk, found the, the, the available agent behind the desk, and just started in. You've lost my luggage. May I see your tags? Here are my tags. So I was fuming. And she went to work on the computer. Just fuming. He said, and I, I finally decided, okay, I got to let, she may not have anything to do with losing the bags, but I got to let her, let her have it. This is her company. He said, I was just about to unload on her. When without looking up from the computer, as she typed, she said, now, would you like us to deliver these bags to your home or to your church? He said, all the anger just kind of leaked out of me. <laughs> it was just gone. I no longer had a need to unload on her. We have gospel words. This is my claim. This is who I am. And I'd like to share with you what I believe. But sometimes our life gets in the way. We have a refrain today. Second phrase, 
I want to read the passage first. I'm actually going to read the passage again each time because I want us to somehow engrave the thoughts of this passage in our minds because of what it says. So back to 1 Peter 3, verse 15 again. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Why would they be ashamed? Because it's not true. If our first two words were gospel words, our second two are gospel attitudes. So the phrase again, when gospel words match up with gospel attitudes, then you have gospel power. So what exactly are gospel attitudes? Well, they're the attitudes of heart and soul that work themselves out in the, in the life in ways that are upbuilding and respectful and polite and good toward other people. In fact, if you followed our passage, you notice that in two or three different ways, Peter underlines how important it is to live an upstanding, upright, and gracious life. He said, for example, you want to have a clear conscience? You want to have gentleness and respect? You want to have good behavior, and you want when people say unkind things about you, you want that to be slander. In other words, you don't want it to be true. So time and again, he's saying in different ways, the kind of life you give, the actions you engage in, the attitudes that you show, those will powerfully affect your witness. And because of that, some of us will have to do some work, either of maturing and growth in our lives or of repair for what we might have done. Our gospel attitudes. I was caught by the story, story told by an author, William P. Barker, told a story from many years ago, happened in Detroit, back when Ford Motor Company wasn't yet that old. It happened to a machinist at the Ford Motor Company plant. Somehow the, the, the Word of God and the presence of Jesus had worked their ways into his life. He had come to a place where, if we were to use Peter's terms from this verse, where he had come to revere Christ as Lord in his life. As part of that, he wanted to be baptized. But then as part of, of, of being baptized, he, he felt a spirit-inspired conviction. I need to make certain things right, and there's one in particular I need to address. So he went home that night, and he gathered a lot of tools and a lot of spare parts that he had stolen from the Ford Motor Company plant gathered them all together into boxes and decided tomorrow I have to take these back. And so the next day he took all of this material that he had, that he had pilfered from the plant, he took them back to his foreman and he said, here, I have to give these back to you. And then he proceeded to explain what he had done and why it was that he was bringing this material back. Well, the foreman was, was nonplussed. He was stunned, honestly. 
He knew that a lot of things disappeared. They, that had cost the company plenty of money. He had never had somebody come back and say, I'm sorry, here it is, and here is why. He wanted to talk to Ford, but Ford at that particular moment was in Europe dealing with a Ford plant issue in Europe. And so the foreman sent him a cable and explained exactly what had happened. He brought this stuff back. He's, been, he's, he's going to get baptized. He's, what do we do? How do you want me to respond? Please reply. Ford almost immediately sent a cable back with instructions that said this. Dam up the Detroit River and baptize the entire city. <laughs> Do you suppose there are people out there waiting for us to align our attitudes with our words, to align our behavior with our claims, our life with our witness? Do you suppose that there are people out there saying, I really am not too interested in your witness until I know what you're going to do about I read that story, and it immediately got me to thinking about a moment of some shame in my own life that I had to make right. didn't happen that long ago, two or three months ago, I don't remember. I was on a phone call with a representative of a certain large company. This is kind of a trigger for me, an anonymous person, somebody that won't listen, won't fix the situation, just basically says, that's it. And I just felt myself getting upset, more upset and more angry. And we had quite a testy exchange. Now, I don't want to tell you the name of the company. All right, since you asked, it was our cell phone company, but <laughs> I, I don't want to tell you which cell phone company, but all right, since you asked, no, I better not tell you that. So we had this exchange together, and I hung up, and about five minutes later as I was calming down, I got to thinking, oh, my goodness. I should not have treated her that way. I need to call back. I mean, that's my company, and, and with that company being my company, you know, our whole horizon could be compromised <laughs> if I don't fix that. So I thought, oh, my. And so I had written down her name and the phone number of her branch office, and so I called back. And after a little period of time, they actually were able to get her back on the line. And I said to her, oh, ma'am, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know you don't control all these things, and this is how I saw it, but, but that didn't call for me being so upset with you on the phone. I apologize. Well, this must not happen too often. Because at first there was silence on the other end of the line. And then she said, Could you please baptize the whole city of Loma Linda? <laughs> no, I just made that up. She didn't say that. She said, Well, oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's okay. And I thought... Sometimes our lives need to get in line with our words, our attitude, with our claims, in order for our witness to be effective. 
In fact, more specifically in what Peter says here, I want to read you the words of two scholars. Now, they write in a set of commentaries that's a bit of a unique set of commentaries. This set of commentaries is written by scholars to Bible translators. And so they're trying to put material in the hands of Bible translators about the original language that might help them think through exactly how to, how to translate some of these terms. Well, they're writing about this passage. Listen to what they say. In being witnesses to their faith in Christ, they, that is Peter's readers, are to do so with gentleness and respect. You saw those words in the passage. Literally, humility and fear. Gentleness here includes the idea of courtesy, considerateness, or negatively, without arrogance or insolence. In other words, I have all the truth, and I'm going to give it to you. No one person, no one group has all the truth. Gentleness here includes the idea of courtesy, considerateness, negatively, without arrogance or insolence. And... The phrase, with gentleness, may be expressed as not trying to force people to believe or not trying to put pressure on people. If respect is regarded as something related to other people, one may employ such an expression as respecting other people's views or being sympathetic with what others think or with courtesy toward others. If one relates respect to God, then one may sometimes translate considering how God would want one to act or thinking about God would have you, about what God would have you to do. In other words, our attitude, if our witness is to be effective, must be one of humility, an attitude of grace, a recognition, I don't know it all. So let me be humble in my approach. I do know that Jesus has changed my life. That I do know. And I know a little bit about his word, and that I can share. But maybe I ought to listen to you as well. So remember our refrain. When gospel words are matched by gospel attitudes, then there's gospel power. So now that third part of the phrase. I go back one last time to 1 Peter 3. I hope we go home with Peter's words ringing in our ears. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So now the third phrase. When gospel words are matched by gospel attitudes, then there is gospel power. Then there's power in what you say. Then there's power in what you offer. Then there's the power of a new life to back up what it is that you claim and how it is that you live. And Peter, in referring to the content of his gospel, in referring to the power, uses just one word in this passage to capture that. Now, he could have used a lot of words. He could have said, be prepared when people ask to give a reason for your faith. Could have said that. 
He could have said, when people ask, be prepared always to give a reason for your belief, to give a reason for your doctrine, to give a reason for the, re the, the cause that you have chosen this given congregation. He could have said all of that, but he doesn't. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. The hope. God's power. That word hope is important to Peter. It appears in several different places in this short letter. None more prominently than right at the beginning of the letter. Just after his salutation, just after his greetings, he starts the letter this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us a new birth into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Hope. That means something profound to Peter. You can almost see him going through those dark hallways of his mind, his experience. That fateful Friday years before when everything caved in on him, when he was without hope, when he came to the end of the road at a tomb in a cemetery, knowing that the unspoken words, the unfinished business would now linger forever. He could not escape it. There was no hope for the future. His denial would forever haunt his life. And then came Sunday morning. And it's for that reason Peter says, praise God for the new birth into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So he is speaking to every single one of us who have had that experience of sorrow and grief and pain and feeling like, does the road end here? When you go out to give your witness, Peter says, just remember that the power of God is within you. You are buoyed up by a living hope because since Jesus rose, everything changes. We're thinking about that today. In just a few moments, faces, precious faces, will appear on the screen. Dear loved, loved ones from our community, over the past months, that past year, have gone to their rest in Jesus. The grief that has been left behind has been searing. Hope? I'm thinking about such things in my own life these days. My growing up years, I remember my mother as a person who could have been described accurately with one word, and that word was joy. Mom, throughout my growing up into my 20s, all those years I lived at home, Mom was a joy-filled person. How often I can remember hearing her laugh. She would get together with her two sisters, and laughter would echo through the hallways of the house. Good conversation, good food. Mom loved to entertain. Come on over. We'll add another chair to the table. Just come on. Enjoy. She, I, I remember Friday evenings in our home. Mom's special every Friday evening was a large bowl of fresh fruit salad and fresh-baked cinnamon rolls. 
Oh, I remember those. I remember living in a place during my mid-teen years where there were a lot of students, a lot of medical students, and Friday evening would come, and, and they would drop by. Oh, we're, we're just, just dropping by to say hi. How, how are you all doing? Oh, cinnamon rolls? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take one. <laughs> Had so many people tell me about wonderful hours eating my mom's food and enjoying her wonderful spirit. And then as we grew older, as we married, and grandchildren came along to hear all about them. What's going on? How are the, how's Anita? How are the kids? What are they doing? Wanting to know our lives. Sharing. Investing. Then about a little over five years ago, my dad went to his rest in Jesus. My mom had cared for him for years up to that point. It had taken a toll on her, and not too long after that, we began to watch as a dark cloud called dementia began to settle down on mom. I FaceTime with her still, but there's no recognition, no understanding of who it is on this end of the FaceTime. My sister, my older sister, Lindy Thomason, who has been nothing short of a saint in her care for mom and dad, did tell me, though, just a couple of months, three months ago, about just a moment when mom stepped out of that fog. She said it was Sabbath morning. The caretaker was there and working on food, and television was on with the worship service from Loma Linda University Church. And she said that mom just for a moment looked at the TV and speaking to the caretaker said, that's my boy. It's a painful reality to experience. My younger sister, Mary Ellen Weingartner, trying to capture that experience, put pen to paper and wrote something a bit ago that I hope I'll be able to read. Here's what Mary Ellen wrote. I don't know when Mom died. I can't tell you the date or time. The first part that died was her laughter and sparkle. Next was her potato soup and cinnamon rolls. I didn't notice, as I didn't know this was, another step down a pathway that led away from us. But she loved to hear about the girls and what was up with them. But then that was replaced by questions of why I couldn't see her more often, no longer caring to hear about my responsibilities. I don't know what came next, but one day I looked at her and realized she had slipped out the back door unnoticed without announcement. Quietly she left. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye or wave. What was left was her shell, inhabited by an angry thing, always wanting more, never enough, off in its own world of fear and chaos. So I don't know when my mom died. I didn't get to say goodbye, to tell her how much I loved her, admired her, so I will sit by her shell 
thinking forlorn thoughts of my sweet mama and how I didn't get to say goodbye. And I think of that and of my father and of the precious faces we will see on the screen. And I want to almost physically grab onto Peter's word, hope. Hope. We have been given a new birth into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And because of that, Peter says, when you witness, always be ready to give an answer for what? For the hope that you have within you. Peter knows something about this in his own life. And so he can pin words that we can paraphrase to say. When gospel words are matched by gospel attitudes, then there is gospel power. I leave you with the words of William Woodfin, who says this, The proof of Christianity is not a book, but a life. The power of Christianity is not a creed, but a Christian character. And wherever you see life that has been transformed by the grace of God, you see a witness to the resurrection of Jesus.